Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to this episode. We got another, another great one. We've got a fantastic guest zooming in from California, Vessi Kapulian. And Vessi is a very experienced real estate entrepreneur who these days focuses a lot on multifamily investing and getting into, she's getting into syndications. So Vessi has a very strong background, especially in underwriting deals. So it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show, Vessi. Thank you so much, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here today. All right. So so for folks that aren't familiar with you, why don't you give us kind of the, you know, the five minute overview of what got you into this wild and wonderful world of real estate investing? What sparked that interest? How did you get started? And what are you focusing on now? Absolutely. Happy to share. It really started for me with the idea to diversify away from the stock market and build a small retirement nest egg. There were a lot of clues around me, but I didn't quite pick them up until 2017 when I made my first investment. And um, those clues were the volatility in the stock market. And unfortunately, a lot of people went through the 08-09 crisis, lost portfolios or the Enron um, scandal where people were left with virtually no 401ks. And then my, my own employer who went through a couple of restructures and unfortunately had to part ways with many of my now former colleagues. Mm. Um, so all of that. Uh, what, what what kind of field of work were you in leading up to that, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I was and still am in commercial lending. So okay. I, I finance multinational companies and, and oh. that's what I've been doing. That explains why you're good at underwriting. You're a very, you're a very analytical kind of person, number, number focused. Absolutely. Yes. I, I like numbers and they usually tell the story. <laughs> if, if you're patient enough and wise enough to read the story, that's the important yes. thing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so yeah, that's basically what pushed me to take that first action. And for someone who lives in California, I, I love living here, uh, but I, I decided to invest out of state. Yeah. Why? Because my dollars go a long way farther along outside California. The yeah. tenant landlord um, laws are not as friendly here. Um, and then again, well, they're they're a little bit too friendly for the tenants, aren't they? Very friendly. We're still under COVID moratorium here in LA. If people don't know, about yeah. It. Well, it's it's similar in many parts of Canada as well. So yeah, we can. A lot of people can relate. So did you did you get yeah. started right away with multifamily or did you start with single family homes? I started with single family. That was uh, the idea is to build that small retirement nest egg. And when I made my first investment, that worked out well. And that prompted me to do, do this. What, what was it, if you don't mind sharing? What, where, what was it and where was it? It was in Memphis, Tennessee. So okay. single family home. Um, that I purchased at the time. I have since refinanced the property. And by the end of this year, uh, between the refi capital and the cash flow from the property, I will effectively recapture my initial investment and generate yes. infinite returns from here. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah, that, that prompted me to buy more residential properties and, and those worked okay as well. And I asked myself, all in, all in Memphis or, um, or somewhere in Memphis. And then I decided to, I like diversification as you'll notice, uh, as we continue the conversation. So I ventured into Florida. Um, so okay. that's the other state I bought, um, properties in. 
And at that moment of time, everything was going okay, but I took a step back and asked myself, how do I scale this further? It, it's working. Can I make something bigger out of it? And that's eventually what led me to scale into multifamily and, and syndications. So were you self-financing all of these properties initially? Were you using your own money for down payments, et cetera? Yes. For the yeah. residential portfolio, yes. Yeah. And were they pretty much turnkey properties or they were they fixer-uppers? I would say for the most part, turnkey. Um, mm -hmm. The first one did need a little bit of work and, and I bought it vacant. Um, so I had to uh, put some effort around putting a tenant in. So those first few months were not as easy, but um, certainly I'm happy that I, I took that risk and and um, spent the time too to select my boots on the ground partners, in this case, the property manager, um, who put a lot of effort into uh, getting it um, tenanted. Well, that was going to be my other question, because I understand the, the value of diversification. However, when it comes to multi, with single family homes, mm -hmm. that can get really complicated with the property management side of things, mm -hmm. having a whole bunch of houses in different states and different areas. What, how did you kind of deal with that, if you don't mind sharing, Bessie? Yeah, no, not at all. I um, I did spend some time researching that company. The One of their key principles was actually based here in Southern California. So I was able to get to know him over time. And when the time came to buy the property, I actually flew over to Memphis to check it out, meet with the team, see their office. Of course, you're still taking a risk because until you actually take on the property and see how they operate. You don't know, right, if they will follow through. But I think that initial diligence of effectively vetting the people um, helped me be successful. And, and, and being able to talk directly to the owner, because especially, and, and I'm seeing that in the multifamily space, very often when you have those initial conversations there with the business development officers, not, not always with the key decision makers or the regional PMs or the or on the ground PM, boots on the ground PMs. Um, so it's really important to get to that key decision maker and the person who will actually be running um, your property. Um, so those were some helpful lessons I could carry over into the multifamily space. Well, definitely. So how many different single family homes do you have in different areas? So how many different property management companies do you have taking care of your single family home portfolio? So it's one in Tennessee because all the single family homes are there. Um, and then another one in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and then another one in central Florida. Um, okay. So those are the two areas where you have your properties. Exactly. Yeah. So just two property management firms managing the Tennessee and Florida portfolio respectively. Got it. Okay. Very good. So then you, you decided to step up into multifamily. Tell us a little bit about what prompted that and, how did you get started with that? Because it's it's quite a different process than than single family homes. Absolutely, it's um, it was really the desire to scale. As I took a step back and started doing the math, I quickly realized, wow, I I'm going to have to buy a lot of single family homes. And and to your point, especially if I want diversification, that means 
not only a lot of roofs and, and maintenance, but a lot of different partners, potentially property management firms, contractors, etc. Um, so the benefit to consolidate that uh, was was one, and at the same time scale up, and also the opportunity to partner with people. Um, I, I, I knew that if I wanted to scale, I couldn't do this by myself, um, not only due to lack of capital, but also lack of time. And so between the desire to scale, but also the ability to transfer over my skill set onto an asset class that was somewhat familiar, there are differences, but there is also a lot of experiences, skill set I could leverage. Um, that's what prompted me to focus on this aspect. Are, are you talking about from your from your job to what you're doing in multifamily? From my job, as well as the experience investing out of state, researching uh, okay. markets, property managers, managing the manager <laughs> remotely, all of that was um, or transferable skills I could apply as I started my uh, multifamily journey. So what what did your first multifamily property look like? What size? What location? How did you find it? Mm -hmm. so, um, did you go in solo on that or did you bring in some partners or did you partner with somebody else? How did that first multifamily deal look? Yeah, so it's in Augusta, Georgia. It's 145 units, which wow. comprises of two properties, one uh, 70 and the other one is 75 units. And they're about three, four miles apart mm -hmm. um, from one another. Um, I, I did not find a deal. However... As I started networking with like-minded individuals and joining masterminds and so forth, very quickly I became known for my underwriting superpower, uh, vetting markets, basically the numbers and the data. So yeah. one of the partners on the syndication had approached me to effectively do a second, um, be a second set of eyes and and, and look at those numbers. Um, eventually, I got invited to participate because of that, and also uh, because of my skill set on the lending side, market analysis. And even though initially the expectation wasn't to bring a ton of cap capital, I, I really wanted to do it. I really wanted to um, to invite other investors to passively join us in on this deal. So I was also given the opportunity to um, raise some capital. So was able to add value in different ways. And that's how um, ultimately I was able to join um, that team. So you're part of the general partnership team in that, in that particular deal? Yes. Okay, very good. And what year was that? When did you get that one under your belt? So we closed in June of last year. So it's ah. been almost almost a year. And uh, yes, <laughs> congratulations. And okay, and and have you done? That's a pretty big deal to bring down. That that takes a lot of time and effort and and uh, thought power. That's for sure. Have you have you got some others on the go right now, or are you just kind of on the look? I'm still continuing to look actively. I will say. Shortly after we closed on that deal, I have had the opportunity to close on an 11 unit joint venture. So mm -hmm. another multifamily property and that one I sourced in Florida. So really, I, I would say the first few months or effectively the remainder of last year um, was focused on getting those two properties stabilized. With that said, I'm constantly looking, continuing to underwrite deals with the goal of adding more to um, my portfolio or our portfolio. Right. So what what are you kind of your aspirations for the next year or so? Vessi, where do you think where do you see things going? If you could wave that realistic magic wand, 
What would you like to accomplish over the next 12 months? Personally, I would like to close on at least two to three more um, properties, whether it's joint ventures or syndications, but specifically in the multifamily space, that's the asset class I'm focusing on. Of course, in the current market environment, that's a little bit more challenging given the a number of factors, including the uh, disconnect between buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, however, markets are markets always fluctuate. The key, I think, is to be persistent, stay in the market, continue to look at evaluate deals, and the right one will come along. But it's important to keep that activity and not pull away in the interim. Well, they're they're very different kinds of properties. So I, I love the fact that you got in that 140 unit deal and, and you're one of the general partners on that. And I also really love the fact that you're looking at smaller multifamilies, an 11 unit that you mm-hmm. did a joint venture there and you're the main kind of boots on the ground, make it happen person in that smaller deal. Uh, what are the pros and cons to the really big ones versus the small ones? Yes. So with the small ones, you joining with a couple other managing partners and everyone has um, their own duty. Uh, It's a little bit more work, but um, on the flip side, it's also one that you have more flexibility on to in terms of what the business plan uh, will be that can change uh, relatively easily, right? Because they're um, not as many decision makers. Um, and that one for joint ventures in particular, those tend to be longer term or forever buy and holds unless circumstances change, of course, and you decide to sell sooner. With the syndication model, um, those are usually, I would call short to medium term holds anywhere from three to seven years, because generally speaking, passive investors would like to get their capital back. But what I like about the syndication is actually the ability to bring in passive investors and, and give them that opportunity to participate and experience the benefits of investing in real estate. Um, there, Of course, there is a lot more work, but for a property of that size, now you have ability to hire an asset manager, mm-hmm. um, more staff um, in terms of on-site property management, maintenance. Um, so you, of course, you're still involved, but um, you're more involved in a managerial overseeing strategic kind of capacity versus doing a lot of the day-to-day operations. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So so Vessi, when it comes to the capital side of things, that's what your background is. You've been working in finance for, for years, but it's kind of different to go out and have to raise capital for your own deal. So what what have been some of your big takeaways and learning experiences and maybe challenges around that? Absolutely. Um, I can talk about my very first capital raise, which was a complete flop. But at the same time, I learned a ton from it. And I think it's positioned me to um, grow my investor database since then, as well as able to apply some skills, some of those skills and contribute um, to the syndication that I eventually closed. Um, I was approached at that time, given the opportunity to participate in someone else's syndication, and of course, I had value in other ways. But when the invitation came, I, I had a very short period of time um, to to um, to bring investors, maybe a week or two. Oh wow! So that, yeah. that wasn't a long time. Um, two, I started reaching out to friends and family, people that I knew, of course, and had a relationship with. 
but they didn't know me as Vessi, the real estate investor. They knew me as Vessi, the commercial lender. Right. So what I had, what I learned is that I really had to tell my story to people and I'm not, um, I wouldn't consider myself an extrovert, but that really pushed me um, to share my story, my experience, what I've done. Um, so they, they, um, they associate me with Vessi, the real estate investor, not Vessi, the W-2 worker um, type yeah, of thing. Um, and then being able to communicate with them on an ongoing basis. What I found out from that initial exercise was that some people responded to texts, others to Facebook, third email. Even though I sent the message, the exact same message through three platforms, but I learned that people consume data through different distribution channels. Mm. Um, so being consistent across all three and, um, and starting to develop content uh, so that they can see me more um, constantly versus just when a deal arises. Um, so I can add value to them in the interim through educational content and, and maybe other bits and pieces of information um, so they can get to know me, see what I'm doing, and hopefully also learn about investing along the way. Um, so I'll pause here and, and see. But those were some of the three lessons that I, I took away from, from that initial experience. And needless to say, I didn't um, raise any money. There was... Um, one investor who actually offered to come in uh, for the full 250K, that was what was asked of me to bring into the deal. Mm -hmm. But eventually that investor changed their mind. So that was another takeaway. If you if you think you need to raise to 50K, you probably need to have 750 of soft commits because not all of, uh, not all of the investors will follow through. So it's plan extra. Because yeah. things change yeah. last minute. We we both learned that that hard lesson, the difficult way. I I remember myself, Vessi, when I was first starting to raise capital. It wasn't a big deal like that. It was a little single family home. I only needed to raise eighty five thousand for it. But again, it was that same situation. I had the deal mm -hmm. under contract. I only had two weeks to raise the money. Uh -huh. hadn't started. hadn't done anything, and now it's scramble 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 and uh same same finale there i wasn't able to do it and had to let that deal go unfortunately so that was and and then i made a lot of really stupid mistakes and turned off a lot of really good prospective investors because i was so just mm. like a bull in a china shop kind of thing so yeah i've i've been there i i know that feeling that sucks i also know the feeling of having those soft commitments kind of counting on that, but then mm -hmm. it's like, Ooh, they flaked out. They changed their mind, whatever mm -hmm. happened. So, mm -hmm. so now my philosophy has become when it's the chicken, and the egg, which should come first, get your investors lined up first mm -hmm. and then go looking for the deals, get those soft commitments or medium soft commitments. <laughs> I like to call them um, ahead of time, get that group of people do like you said, have at least twice as much lined up as you're going to need. Mm -hmm. So when the smoke clears, people will actually come through. So yeah, some really good lessons there. Right. Now, I, I do have a question. I love what you said there, that one of your big takeaways was not everybody responds to the same messages across the same channels. So mm -hmm. some people prefer email. Some people like text messages. Some people like DMs and, and Facebook or whatever. Mm -hmm. So... 
how are you able to, and you're, you say you're basically sending out the same information. Mm-hmm. How are you able, how are you keeping track of who likes what and, and how you're sending stuff out? Or do you kind of hit everybody with everything and, and see what sticks? Yeah, that's a great question. So initially, yes, I, I reached out to people that I already had a relationship with and, and, and how I learned what they like was by virtue of how they responded. Uh, some mm-hmm. responded via text, others responded via email, third responded uh, via Facebook. Um, so that's kind of how I learned everyone's preferences. But over time, especially as you start building that investor community and nurture that investor um, uh, community and, and base, it's mm-hmm. really important to be able to to track performance, stay organized. So eventually, I actually got a CRM, mm-hmm. um, and and that's how I was able to be a little bit more organized. Also, when I created my newsletter, I started doing it. It wasn't the best, but I figured version one is probably better than version none. Uh, now, <laughs> I now, <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a good saying. <laughs> now it's developed into something more, but I can. I can now see and track activity of what topics people like, where am I getting more clicks, who's opening them, who's not. And admittedly, some people unsubscribed um, yeah. from that. And, and and that's okay. It Again, it's also that's also a sign. That's also a clue, right? Mm. Um, because ultimately, you want to work with people um, not only who know, like, and trust you, but people who believe in in real estate. One and two people who believe in the vehicle. In in my case, multifamily. So some people may self-select out, and and that's okay. Again, I'm not here to push um, product to anyone. I really believe in what I do, and and want to be able to add value and, and help people find their own freedom. Yeah. Excellent, Bessie. So now that you got a little bit more organized, you got the newsletter going out and different things like that and the CRM, mm-hmm. um, I'm aware of, you know, most people doing that kind of stuff, they're usually using email for that. You can track the open rates. You can mm-hmm. send out mass emails and, and things like that. Are you still communicating one-on-one with different people depending on how what their preference is or have you kind of switched the focus more to email for efficiencies it's it's mostly switched to email although again for those who are engaged i i maintain phone communication or or text communication i also started a private facebook group mm, where i can share content and again if if people don't like to read email, they can at least see the information there. And most recently started a YouTube channel for those who don't like to read, but perhaps like to watch a short three, one to three minute video, mm. get the basic content out of it um, and, and then um, take next steps if they decide to do so. Yeah, that's smart. That's, that's something that we do with our clients as well, Vessi, as we, uh, we we get them doing a variety of things, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, just like you are, you know, the monthly newsletter, that's kind of a good flagship communication. Mm-hmm. Get that sucker out every single month. And then also spice it up with video. So what we do are video logs, same idea, three to five mm-hmm. minutes long, mm-hmm. short, sweet little things. So yeah, you can have those on, on YouTube, but also here's an idea for you that, that mm-hmm. might be helpful. You can email the people on your list about the video oh right? okay I did so you let them know that the video is up you you can have it up on on youtube 
But I took a quick little look at, at your website. What I would recommend mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. is have that video in where, where you've got your, your newsletter, have mm -hmm. another little tab there that says videos or something like okay. that, right? And then when you email people that your video's up, point them to your website ah. to consume it because that way they'll poke around and they're much more likely to click on the book a call with Vessi, right? right. That's because that's right. the goal. That's what, that's what right. you want people to, right. to be doing. So same thing with, um, you know, I, I think you're into doing uh, blog posts or you're into doing articles, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So mm -hmm. same idea, have those on the website, have the email go out to your database of prospects, taking them back to the website mm -hmm. to consume that that material mm -hmm. and ideally click on the book a call with Bessie, right? Because that's yeah. that's the whole goal there. Absolutely. That's a great idea. Thank you for sharing. I will oh. definitely implement it. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you seem like you're you're a person that grabs ideas and really goes for it. I always love that. Implementers, people that take take action. So what what do you find are some of the challenges that you're facing these days when it comes to raising capital, Bessie? It's one comes to the numbers. Um, the the returns have really compressed. And I mentioned briefly the disconnect between buyers and sellers. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of other factors. But when people can find a CD at 4% or buy a treasury at, what is it, 4.9 now? And um, you really need to have a very compelling deal proposition in order for them to take action. And just the overall uncertainty uh, within the economy is causing a lot of people to take a step back and think yeah. through and will I have a job tomorrow? Will I not? Maybe I should hold off before making that next investment. Mm. Um, so so these are some, some challenges that I'm experiencing. And so our fellow operators that I'm frequently in contact with, but um, again, it doesn't mean that you need to stop or give yeah. up. It just means that conversation continues. And if people are not comfortable uh, participating in a current deal. There's always a next one. Exactly. Keep, keep in touch. Yeah. Right. We, I call that, that constant, consistent, mm -hmm. edutaining communication. So a little bit educational and hopefully a little bit entertaining as well without having to be goofy, but you know, something that's that people kind of look forward to, to getting on their desk because one of the challenges I've seen with really smart analytical people, uh, probably not yourself, Bessie, but other other folks like engineers and and those kind of folks that are re real estate investors, is the way they think is very analytical. It's it's all about the numbers, which is great. I mean, fantastic, fantastic skill set to have. However, what we need to remember is most of your investors are probably not super analyticals. They're probably regular human beings. So the analyticals are the top 10% of the population, right? The way they think. Mm -hmm. But you can't assume that everybody else consumes information that way. So just like you're talking about really smart, you know, the video stuff, short and sweet, mm -hmm. three, four, five minutes, not too heavy on the numbers. You know, I always call this the the Reader's Digest version. Yeah. And I don't know. If, are you familiar with Reader's Digest? Yes. Maybe? Yes. Are you? Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. So Reader's Digest is a magazine written for adults. However, they're very smart because they write it 
at a 13-year-old reading level. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean the readers are dumb. They just want to make it really easy for them to consume it mm-hmm. so it's not a lot of work. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a something that we should aspire to when it comes to our investor communications as well, mm-hmm. is to keep it easy for people to to comprehend, right? For people to understand. So yeah, that's that's one of the tips that I always have for our analytical clients when, when we're working with them is let's really look at how can we inject personality in this? Mm-hmm. How can we tell some stories around this? So that, that works really well. So and when you're when you're teaching something, always tie in a story about that. If you've got a personal experience around that, talk about that. If you don't have the personal experience, but you know somebody who has, tell their story. Here's what happened to my friend, Jim. I mean, you know, that sort of thing. Cause, cause the stories stick that that's what really sticks in people's minds. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're already doing a bunch of that stuff, but if, if any of that's helpful, that, that, that'll go a long way to Absolutely. No, I think th- this is some great advice. And to your point, not everyone likes reading the numbers. Um, that's what prompted me actually to write a mini book or digital book as well. It's called The Busy Professionals Quick Guide to Investing in Multifamily. Smart. Nice. It, I love it. It's designed yeah. to do exactly that because not everyone wants to read, but maybe they need a quick reference guide or know what are the three things I need to know about this topic or the five questions I need to ask on that topic. Um, because again, not, not everyone wants to do this actively and go into the details. So, Well, congratulations on the book, Vessi. And I, I hope you're um, starting to leverage that as well. Are, are you using that as kind of a uh, more than just a lead magnet, but as a as a business card on steroids. Have you got physical copies, or is it just a digital book? It's digital at this stage. Oh, right? okay. Here's a big uh-huh. tip for you. Okay. Huge tip for you. Okay. Get a physical copy of it. You'll you'll notice, I've got eight books on the on the bookshelf there. I hate writing books. I'm I'm not a big fan of writing books, but I do appreciate the power of a book. Now, you've got a book, whether it's on Amazon or with a local printer or whatever, get the hard copies printed. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get a lot, 50 or 100, whatever makes sense. Okay. But then now, whenever you meet a potential investor, never give them your business card. Give them a copy of your book, right? It should have your contact information in it, it should have your website in it should have your phone number in it. All of that should be in the book itself. Mm-hmm. Sign the book for them. And then you watch and see how they go. Oh my God, you've got a book. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Because author and authority, that's that's where the word authority comes from, is from being an author. And that I call a book, a business card on steroids. Don't worry about trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is to mm-hmm. give that away. And then here's the other cool thing, Bessie. You can use your book as a way to get on way more podcasts, right? To talk about your book. You can use that as a way to get on as a speaker at your local RIAs and real estate investment Mm -hmm. meetups and real estate investment clubs, because they're always looking for speakers. And if you've got a book, that's great. And then you trade the book, you give it away Mm -hmm. in exchange for somebody else's um, business card or what have you another way to grow your list, right? Mm -hmm. But 
just having that and using that as your calling card, using that as as your platform, if you will, mm-hmm. that's going to help you raise so much capital if you if you leverage it properly. So congratulations Thank you. on writing the book. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. You're full of great ideas. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, Bessie. All right. Well, time flies when we're having fun. So if people want to find out more about you and, and connect with you, what's the number one best place? Number one best place for people to find out all things Bessie. I would say it's my website, www.dbacapitalgroup.com. D is in dream, B is in believe, A is in achieve. My phone is there, email, direct link to my calendar, and a ton of uh, free educational content. And, and your book. You're the, you're the book. PDF version <laughs> of your book. Exactly. Yes. That's fantastic, Bessie. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Dave. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right, everybody take care and we'll see you on the next episode.